0: You can also find us on the web at VineyardBrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at VineyardBrenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. We got there. Thank you guys, by the way. Um, we appreciate you. And it's the, it's the worst thing in the world to be in the sound booth and... When you know that something's supposed to happen, and everybody turns around and looks at you. <laughs> so so thank you guys for, for doing what you do this morning. Well, I, I guess, how many of you knew that song? Didn't know it? Didn't know it? Well, I, I, I'm a closet uh, Alan Jackson fan. Um, saw him at the rodeo a couple of times, and uh, but... Um, but that's Alan Jackson in his, his hit song Where I Come From. It was his 18th number one hit. And it, it appeared on an album called When Somebody Loves You. It was released in July 2001, a few months before 9-11. Of course, you, I'm, I think we all know the song Where, Where Were You When the World Stopped Turning. That was on the following album. And so it kind of overshadowed The the album "When Somebody Loves You" and consequently, the song "Where I Come From" was the only number one hit off of that of that album. He's had a lot of hit songs, and it's not hard to see why. You can sing along with him. Anyhow, I digress. Well, I'm beginning a new series this morning, and I'm, I'm calling it "The Gospel with the Poor." Now, whether you know it or not, the holidays are upon us. Is anybody surprised? The Halloween decorations are being discounted right now. And they're, you know, you can, if you want to stock up on candy, of course, I don't know that you want to keep candy for next year. But, um, but you can get all the decorations and all that stuff really cheap because it's being replaced Buy Christmas stuff. And some places have already started putting their Christmas stuff out. If you've been to Walmart recently, you know back in the back, they're already stocking up. They were emptying it out kind of early. So, um, but for about six weeks. Is that me that's making all this racket? See if we can get it to stop. There's nothing worse to mess with something and then, you know, draw attention to it. But it seems like for about six weeks, from right around Thanksgiving up until Christmas, everybody starts getting into the spirit of the holiday. I'm not talking about the shopping and and, and wanting to fight in the stores over the stuff that's out there. But what I'm talking about is that people start, they, they, they start feeling more generous. They start talking about being more generous. You know, and, and they start doing things like giving a little extra money to the Salvation Army, or maybe there might be a collection of, of of dry goods or canned items, and so you start emptying out the pantry and start taking those stuff those things down there so that they can be donated to somebody else. Maybe you hear about somebody that's that's in need, and so you donate toward. That family so that they might be able to celebrate Christmas and, and that they might have a better holidays. Well, John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard movement, felt that ministry to the poor should be a primary focus in vineyard churches. It wasn't just an afterthought until other more important things are put in place. You know, you... you we, we want to take care of children's ministry. We want to take care of the adult ministry. We want to take care of all these things. Make sure we've got a, got a worship team. We've got to make sure that we've got everything in place, you know, because that's what people expect when they come to church. And John was adamant that, that ministry to the poor, ministry to the needy, was high on the list of, of priorities for churches like us. Before he and his wife Carol started the home group, the the, the small group that met in their home that would eventually become the Anaheim Vineyard. They told each other that the the priority that they had for this this ministry was that they wanted to make sure that they looked after the poor. And so this is going to be our focus for, for the next few months as we lead up into To Thanksgiving. And the title of, of what I'm going to talk about today is Discovering Our Roots. Last week I read from the Gospel of Matthew where a man asked Jesus, Teacher, what is the most important commandment of the law of Moses? Do you remember how he responded? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he gave them a bonus. A second equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, Jesus couldn't have been more spot on. Everything we know about God and everything that we know about Scripture, it all hangs on these two commandments. Well, later on in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus had another conversation like this with with somebody. And so he asked, trying to justify and and make himself look good, who's my neighbor? Well, if you remember, Jesus responded by telling a parable that we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's kind of a review from last week if you were here but if, if you remember in, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, there were three characters, right? The man gets robbed, he's on the side of the road, he's left for dead, and three people come by. A priest, who's supposed to be the hero of the story, and then a Levite, who's also pretty well connected, comes along. Well, neither one of those, those people helped the man who is lying on the side of the road. The third person who comes along is a Samaritan and and the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were considered unclean. They called them dogs. Yet this man was the one who helped the man who was in need. And Jesus told that parable to make this point that anyone in the sphere of our influence who is in need is our neighbor. So I want to ask... This question, who is our neighbor? And what can I do to help them? Because when we see a neighbor in need, when we see someone in need, you know, God's put them in our path, right? Well, in our day and age, there's a lot of need in the world. I mean, I I, I don't know about you, but I I get all these emails from. We sponsor a child through Compassion International, and we get emails from them. Will you think about sponsoring another child? And there's for every one, there's there's at least ten. And then whenever you go out in the community, I mean, there there's always somebody who needs something. Some kind, of, some kind of giveaway, something that, that can help them accomplish their goals for, for reaching out and taking care of someone. Well, at some point, and I think this, this happens, I know it happened to me whenever I worked in Houston, that we, we learn to train our eyes. And I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, it, it's, there, there's nothing more awkward than to pull up to a stoplight and have someone come out, you know, maybe he's got a bucket with a squeegee with dirty water and he's about to smear it all over your, your windshield. Or somebody who's standing there with a sign, will work for food, hungry, haven't eaten in a while. You know, we see them and we learn to train our eyes. Don't make eye contact. You know, we, we've, we've learned that if, if we actually see somebody when we're walking... If we don't make eye contact. And, and a lot of times it's hard to determine, is this person really in need? Or is this, is this something else? Are they trying to, trying to get one over on me? And so that's why we train our eyes. <coughs> and a lot of times we, we're like the priest or the Levite in the parable. We just pretend not to notice. We don't want to get involved because, I mean, that takes time. It gets messy. But that's exactly what God expects us to do, to love and care for our neighbors, particularly the ones who are poor. I had something really weird happen to me yesterday. It was bizarre. thought about someone and uh, sent them a text message. And I'd been meaning to send them a text message for a while. Well, and I, I won't go into the details of the of the story, but he's had some really bad things happen to him in, in the last year and a half. It's just, it, it's, it's been awful. Hadn't heard from him, didn't know what was going on. Sent him a text message, just, hey, I was thinking about you, hope everything's okay. Well, I get this phone call. It's not from him, it's from a girlfriend. And she goes on to tell me the story, you know, the kind of plight that he's in. And so she's telling me this and, you know, she's, she's in a, she's, she's stranded. She has, she, she's staying with people that she doesn't really know. And I mean, it's just, just it, it, the story, it, it was, it just, you've got to be pulling my leg. But the more I talk to her, it's like, I, I, I think this is a real situation. And right away, I start thinking about, well, what, what if I do something? What, what, what's this going to cost me? You know, what's it going to cost me to get involved? Telling the story that, you know, he's reached out to all of his friends, no one's been able to help. You know, and, and it's, it's when we start thinking about that, I mean, you know, how much am I going to be out for this? You know, you'd give somebody a ride and, and it ends up being, you know, way out in the boonies someplace. You know, or you try to do something for somebody, and you know, and it turns into be this. You know, you, you, before you know it, you're you, you've you've spent more money than you've ever intended to spend, and, and and you don't know if you've even helped. But God expects us to be involved with those who are in need. John Wimber in his study on healing in the Bible referred to healing as sharing God's abundance with the oppressed poor Scripture refers to those who are poor as being poor because of oppression Now when we think of oppression it's it's not what we what we hear through our society in terms of it's oppression by people It's this people group and that that people group this group in power and that group in power Poverty, hunger, and dire need are all part of the curse of this evil age. In Genesis, God's judgment upon Adam was that he and his descendants would struggle to scratch out a living on the earth. That was the curse. The ground was cursed. And then they were cursed to have to yield from the ground. And Satan is the ultimate oppressor who uses systems and institutions and kingdoms of this world against the poor and the downtrodden. Now, what does this oppression look like? Well, it looks like you have someone who's working a minimum wage job and they have a car that that they rely on to get back and forth to work. Everything's going fine. They've been working for a few weeks, and they have a flat tire. Well, they don't have enough money to pay for a new tire, so they can't drive the car to work. So they end up losing the job, and then that affects their living situation. And it cycles out of control. It gets to a place where you know they're 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 stuck. What are they going to be able to do? You know, add in kids that get sick, add in any of, of the kinds of things that just happen. When they happen to those who are, who are the downtrodden, the poor, those, those who really can't afford to deal with those kinds of things, it destroys them. Jesus came preaching the good news of, to the oppressed poor so that they might experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. And he quoted the prophet of Isaiah in the book of Luke where he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And that good news is that the Messiah has come, and the rule and reign of God is now in control. And he sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. And the time of the Lord's favor has come. In other words, God's rule and reign has come to break the cycle of oppression once and for all. And when the oppressed poor experience the rule and reign of God, God's kingdom breaking in, everything they need is given to them. God supplies their needs. God's reign breaks the power of poverty in people's lives and teaches them to give to others who are in need. Because when you feel like you can't, when you don't have enough, how can you give to anyone else? How can you give if you are in need yourself? In John Wimber's teaching on ministry to the poor, he referred to a concept called redemption and lift. It was a phrase coined by Donald McGavern, a missiologist and a professor at Fuller Seminary. And he used the term to describe the transformative power of the gospel on people's lives, especially on their socioeconomic condition. And there was an article that appeared in Influence Magazine in 2017, and I want to read an excerpt from that to you. It, It starts by saying... Sociologist Rodney Stark provided a statistical evidence for redemption and lift in a book called American's Blessings. Compared to less religious and non-religious people, people of faith engage in less criminal activity and more pro-social behavior. They experience higher marital happiness and lower divorce rates while producing more and better behaved children. They report... More and better sex with their spouse and less cheating. Experience better mental health and probably better physical health too. Give more generously in terms of money and time and are better educated, more successful and less credulous. Now, why does this happen? Because conversion to Christianity entails change in three dimensions of human existence. Number one, in the head our patterns of thought. God transforms our mind. And then our heart, our patterns of feeling, our our responses to the world around us. And our hands, in terms of our our patterns of action and relationship. A person renewed by the gospel increasingly acts in a self-controlled and selfless manner rather than In a self serving one, and this produces positive change in their mental circumstances. Consequently, evangelism is necessary and a necessary component of Christian mission compassion ministries to the poor. It helps such ministries move beyond the temporary relief of a person's acute needs to the long term development of their whole self, their head. Their heart and their hands. And as Beth Grant writes in her book, Courageous Compassion, when just actions and God's truth are engaged together, they are supernaturally liberating. Just as the one who is truth, Jesus, is proclaimed that, that he would be. John Wimber goes on to say that Jesus frees us from the curse of the law. The purpose of God is therefore to heal us from the oppression of the spirit of poverty or a poverty mentality. And it frees us to enjoy and share God's abundance with others. And then our abundance or prosperity sets us free to give and meet needs through God's resources, not hoarding wealth like rich people in the world. Maybe you've heard people who preach prosperity, that the more you give, the more that God's going to give you. Well, we change that from giving to get to we give to get to give. And then we get so we can give. The purpose and the, and, and the focus is always on giving. Giving away what God gives us. And we see a picture of this, this kind of abundance in the Acts of the Apostles. In Acts chapter 4, the Apostle Luke wrote, All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The Apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land, or houses, would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Now, just to clarify here, a cursory reading is like everybody they're just giving everything away. Biblical scholars point out that believers did not sell everything and make themselves homeless. Rather, they sold their excess for the benefit of the community and shared everything else. Whenever we moved here to Brenham, our desire was that our home would be a place where we could have meetings with people, that we could have community groups. And we've been able to do that. And nothing would please me more for us to be able to open our homes for community groups and for for gatherings like we had yesterday. Thank you, Tammy and Brad, for for such a, a nice... A nice thing yesterday. We we guys were kind of holed up here in the in the this back room because we were afraid of the weather. But um, yeah, we were we were actually it was pretty brave of us though because we were we were cooking out here under the under the, the awning and it got kind of cold. So uh, but anyway, but the idea the idea is is sharing what we have. The idea is is being open. And, and, and living with open hands f- with the things that God has given us. Now, if, if that sounds crazy to you, it, it really sounds like what Jesus told his disciples. I mean, it's possible for us to live in, an, in, a, in a way that we share everything together as, as a community of believers. And Jesus told his disciples before he went to the cross... So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I've loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. That was what was said about the, the early church. It, 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 I, I made the mistake of putting it on my vest. But it, it's been popping the whole time, and I'm sorry about that. But our, our love for each other the way that we love others who we come in contact with, that demonstrates that we belong to Jesus, that we love Him. And that says more to a community that doesn't know Jesus than anything else. They can say whatever they want to about us as, as Christians, but if we love... I mean, that that's... That's possibly the, the best criticism that we could get that, we, that we, we love over and above. John Perkins, an American Christian minister, civil rights activist, Bible teacher, best-selling author, philosopher, and community developer said, God has always wanted the vulnerable in society to be cared for. He never intended for them to languish in poverty, abuse, slavery, homelessness, or other types of devastation. When we care for individuals who are trapped in these ways, when we show them love and help them move toward freedom and wholeness, we participate in bringing a little part of God's kingdom back into alignment with His greater plan. We do justice and God smiles. So if you wonder, that's why we're doing the outreaches that we do. That's why we go to Regency. And, you know, we've gone sometimes and, and it's hard to keep up with people because, you know, they're, they're, they're transient and they may be there one week and they may be gone the next. But we, we want to extend the kingdom and, and give people at, at Regency the opportunity to respond to the kingdom message and let them know that the that the kingdom is available to them too. That's what we do with the closet. And people come in and, and you know and they can they can go and they can their 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 needs are being met now but we're 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 pointing toward the fact that Jesus is the one who will supply all of your needs. It's the same kind of thing that we do when we show kindness to a to a coworker. It's the same thing whenever we we get to know our neighbors and share with them what what God's done in our lives. It's part of who we are. It's part of who we want to be. That's our our heritage as as a movement, as a as as a church in the vineyard. That's who we want to be. We want to be a, be a people who who consider the poor and who 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 reach, reach out and love the poor as we, we come in contact with them. Well, can we, we stand together?